the Staff and Graph podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. Inlinks are salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. Staff and Grab Podcast. Uh, Rachel, playoffs are in full swing. I like to say on the THM podcast all the time that it's like the greatest time of year every time I almost log on here because just it seems like the NHL season rules, but this really does seem to be the best. Oh my God. Yeah. The playoffs have been so fun and so good and not short of any storylines. We've had two dick tricks this week. Yeah. Back to back dick tricks and uh, both teams. Uh, Lost. Yeah. And also how was Dreisaitl not one of the three stars of the game? Like who yeah. picked that? So I saw in, um, yeah. So just for anyone not knowing what's going down here, um, so a dick trick is four goals because a, wh- a while back, uh, Joe Thornton, uh, you know, why was it the San Jose Sharks? Timo Meyer, I believe it was. Um, it was either Meyer or Hurdle. I think it, it was, was Hurdle, Hurdle, actually. It, it was, was Hurdle. Hurdle. Um, so Hurdle scored four goals in a game. And that and him doing that actually, like, launched uh, Marty Braun into retirement, um, which is another, which is a funny consequence of that. But he scored four goals in a game, and he did one through the legs. And, and you know, like, the, the typical Canadian, you know, not even Canadian, just a typical, like, boring hockey media was like, oh, should he have showboated on that? Um, or should he have celebrated? And, uh, and Joe, it up, as Tyson and, Nash would say. There you go. And then, and then, Joe Thornton's like in the back of the locker room and he just comes out. He's like, if I had scored four goals, I would have had my, <laughs> would have had my dick out. <laughs> like, you know, like I would have been, been uh, doing things with it. <clears throat> and so now anytime someone scores four goals, it is, uh, you know, now and forever, forever known as a dick trick. Unfortunately though, is that, you know, both teams, you know, Joe Pavelski scored four goals um, uh, for the stars in his return is from missing five games which is pretty mm-hmm. nuts too. So that that's even more important, but the stars ultimately ended up losing to the Kraken in game one. And then Leon Dreisaitl scored four goals against the, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, totally taking over the, you know, the Connor versus uh, Jack Eichel uh, uh, storyline, I guess off the top and yet the Oilers lost. So it seems like dick tricks are bad luck, but yes, Rachel is referring to how Leon Dreisaitl scores four goals um, you know, the all the only four goals the Oilers scored that game, by the way. They lost in a game they lost five to four. Um, and uh the and, and the three stars were voted on by Vegas media, and he was not one of the three stars. Game, yeah, which is Ivan Barbashev, uh Chandler, Chandler Stevenson, Stevenson, and Mark Stone. And like with due respect to those players, like I'm and they sure all they had were multi-point great. games. They all I, I looked at it, they all had multi-point games, but like, dude, the guy Bruce, scored. Bruce four Cassidy goals. said it himself. He was like, he has eleven goals in we're in the second it's the week first of the game of the second round. Like even Bruce Cassidy was like, come on, this is insane. Yeah. It's, it, it's nuts. And you know, when, whenever I see, you know, Oilers media losing their mind on something on Twitter, like something like that, I, I, I am my, my instinct is to be like, just shut up. But then I looked at him like, no, they're actually, it's, it's the heartbreaking, the worst person in the world, you know, has made a good point. I mean, cause it's true. Yeah. They were correct. Yes. Which is, Look, as, as every the Oilers, Oilers media, uh, or at least most of Oilers media is right. You know, like like they say, a broken clock is right twice, uh, you know, twice a day. And they are right about twice a year. And this is one of them. So good for them. Yeah, man. I mean, should we talk about more fun stuff? I we feel should... like there's one fun thing we really need to talk about. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, it seems like, um, you know, the Ottawa Senators will be sipping on some gin and juice soon. Or could potentially be doing that um, because Snoop Dogg is uh, is is partnering with a, a you know a giant sort of uh, business Nico person. Uh, yes, Nico Sparks uh, from from the Los Angeles area uh, to put in a bid for the Ottawa Senators in, in a sale that is now looking like it's going to exceed some pretty pretty lofty uh, some pretty lofty economic or I guess sort of financial benchmarks here. But the but everything you know, but this is not a publicity stunt for him, as as you say. Did a big long interview with uh, Ian Mendez from the Athletic talking about it, and 
it's pretty cool because he wants to grow the game of hockey in a, at a grassroots level. He wants to show kids, you know, in, you know, in, in black communities and in my, in, you know, um, minority communities that hockey is, is a fun sort of, you know, a, a game to play and, and uh, wants to be a community activist. And he seems like he really loves Ottawa in particular. Seems like fun. Yeah, I really like this. And I got to be honest with you. Like when when Ryan Reynolds said, like, I'm putting in a bid or I want to partner up. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like he's got Wrexham. And then when Snoop said it, I was like, is he saying it or does he actually want to? And then he went on first take, which is like. Which is the premier. That's the premier sports show. Yeah. When you're on with Stephen A. Smith, like you're you're on. Right. And so he went on. And the impassioned sort of speech that he gave and the conversation, the dialogue, um, I came away, I watched that whole thing. I came away from it going, I really want Snoop to get the sense because like you pointed out, Snoop wants young black people to see black people in ownership boxes. They understand that it's not just white people. And he want, he talked about like growing it from a grassroots level and he wants to be a community activist and he's not going to move to Ottawa, but he wants to be in the community, he wants to be accessible to fans, like all of that stuff. When you think about, when you think about the typical owner, does Jeremy Jacobs, Josh Harris, Bell and Rogers scream community activists to you? No, it screams the opposite of that. It screams <laughs> ivory tower, looking down upon the unwashed masses with disdain type thing. Snoop Dogg is like, yeah. Snoop Dogg is, is like smoking joints and going on. Like he's a, because he's in LA, he's been on the Kings broadcast and he's been fried on these broadcasts. Oh, yeah. You're telling me that like TSN or Sportsnet wouldn't have Snoop Dogg on one of their broadcasts. They'd probably get a CRTC complaint, but I think generally speaking, it's important. The other thing I wanted to ask you is, he talks about how the marketing of players in the NHL is trash. And it is. we've been yelling about this forever. When mm-hmm. Snoop Dogg says it's trash, like that's when you know. I would, I only want him to get the sends, like obviously grassroots, but I want to see the marketing that comes out of this because he's going to have some wild ideas and I need it. Well, like he's already it. he's already mentioned like he mentioned by name, like, you know, Brady to Chuck and Tim Stutzel and guys like that. And I think it like he'll do a great job. And he's he's go if any, like to, to his credit, he's going to a team with instilled stars in them, you know, with a really exciting young core with marketable faces and marketable personalities. And, you know, like if I'm if I'm uh, uh, and I'm not sure how much players pay attention to this, but if I'm Alex DeBrincat, you know, it, this oh. this this summer. And, you know, like all of the news we've heard leading up to now is that he might want to get he, he uh, you know, because he's an RFA at the end of the year, um, but he might want to get traded. He might not want to sign uh, with Ottawa after his one year sort of uh, a cameo with them. If I'm asked to bring cat and I'm and I'm thinking about my future and then I hear, you know, oh, the Ottawa like Snoop Dogg wants to bring in like a crap ton of money and publicity and fun to this team like. Do you want to be getting like you you could be in on the ground floor of, of what would be like a you know one in a million or or you know a, a, a first time type of in, uh, ownership situation in in the NHL? Do you want to get out of that right as it's happening? I don't know. It, it could be good for for free agents. It'd be good for even just their own guys wanting to stay. There's a couple franchises where I genuinely think you want to be part of them. Not only like from a hockey perspective, but because. What's going on off the ice with the franchise is really cool. Seattle's one of them. I've heard from numerous people that we might be getting a Jerry Bruckheimer produced Kraken TV show, which would be, it would blow every other production out of the water. If Jerry Bruckheimer's producing it, I just put it like right. I swear to God, Rachel, if this is not, if it is not narrated by David Caruso, AKA Sergeant (laughs) Horatio Kane from CSI Miami, I will lose my mind. It would be perfect. And so if you look at it, whether it's Snoop Dogg or Ryan Reynolds, I don't care which one gets it. I care that one of them gets it because we're either getting like a Wrexham style TV show with Ryan Reynolds group, which he's already said he wants to do, or with Snoop Dogg, we're getting grassroots and marketing and all of the entertainment business that's associated with Snoop, which is like a huge community um, to me. Like, I don't, I think that's a win-win as long as you go with one of those two groups. I don't think the NHL now can afford to go 
with a group that isn't Reynolds or isn't Snoop Dogg because then you're snubbing both of them. And that's just, I mean, could you imagine Snoop Dogg just for a second in a board of governors meeting? These people are like firing around like, ideas. Shut your ass. Shut your ass <laughs> up, Jeremy. Like, you know, like I can would... just see him like, you need to chill and just take a huge huff. Like, I want, and this is a thing, it's not a knock on Snoop. I would love this. I would pay $10,000 to sit in that room just to see the look on everybody else's faces. I think Snoop could be really good to like, in terms of lightening people up a little bit, like could you loosen up a little? Yeah, it, it would be it would be extremely funny, and I would love that more than I want that more to breathe. Now, here's more than I want to breathe. Now, here's the thing too: is that like the uh, there? I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say this, but like basically, it's going to be one or the other. Like Ryan, like the league really wants Ryan Reynolds on there, to, and and I think you know whichever bid sort of gets going i think he'll be tacked onto it um it seems like Could that you imagine ryan plus snoop in a board of governors meeting there's a there's like a non-zero <laughs> chance that like the nhl really wants ryan reynolds they they yeah. want the sort of star power of him he's huge on social media he's you he's huge in, in traditional media everything he touches turns to gold um he's also bringing a ton of money with him because he just sold mint mobile and and he's canadian and all that and he's canadian um and then you bring Snoop Dogg as well. I mean, like that would be that would be huge. That'd be that would go a long way to improving the NHL's just like sort of credibility and portfolio. Um, on I like the it. international stage. Snoop I th- and Reynolds to the Sens it in will- exchange for. <laughs> think about this trade for a second. Eugene Melnick in exchange yeah. for Ryan Reynolds and Snoop Dogg. That's that's like Martin Erat for uh, Phil Forsberg. Forsberg. You know? <laughs> that's that's amazing. Um, so yeah, it'll uh, uh, yeah. I, I do believe it. Like I think no matter what, what at least one of those two guys will be uh, in the ownership group uh, for the Sens. It'll be interesting. All right, let's do let's do some post mortems here, Rachel. You know because uh, you know we had to push recording back a little bit. Um, so you know we can't talk. We can't do instant reaction to some of the series that have wrapped up. But let's do some post mortems. Namely, let's start with. I would say I don't even think it's it's a. You know, it, it, it it's an argument. The biggest uh, uh, sort of collapse, the biggest bust, the biggest choke job um, in in modern NHL history uh, belongs to the Boston Bruins. Yeah. So I just want to get this out of the way. Um, I would like to apologize to the Boston Bruins and their fans who heard me say it. Um, if you remember, a few weeks ago, you asked me what would have to happen for the Bruins not to win the cup. Mm-hmm. And I said, the Bruins will win the cup unless Bergeron, Krejci, and Allmark get hurt. And look what happened. <laughs> and the amount of text messages I got from people not only within the Bruins organization, but like my friends who are fans of the Bruins was not small. Um, so I didn't mean to put a hex on the Bruins. Um not at now, all. Now let me Very say sorry. That, now let me say, Rachel, that I absolutely did mean to do that. <laughs> um, because there has not been a single person out there that has enjoyed the downfall of the president's trophy winning Boston Bruins more than Michael J. Stevens. It has been so much fun. The memes have been endless, and I I just I couldn't be laughing harder, truly. So should we break down? Some yeah, let's of the, break it down. What went wrong? I, I want to pick through the wreckage. I want to have some fun with Mike uh, wants to just drive the knife right into the chest. Oh yeah. Oh, it's great. Like if we, you know, erotica for Mike, I was going to say we're on the edge of making this, this video age restricted because it is, (laughs) it's going to be a lot of fun. So let's start off with basically they, they uh, basically what happened. Let's go. Let's start with that. And then we'll go and where they go from here, which is to the basement. (laughs) So uh, it was three, one, just want to get that out of the way. Um, just want to, you know, point that out. But one thing it that sure really was. kind of stood out to me. Um, so Boston kind of made its name this year using a goaltending tandem. They had both Omar and Swayman. And I thought that the Vesna kind of chatter for Omar was maybe a little bit overblown, considering it was a tandem and what Sorokin and Hellebuck and Saros were doing. Um, but Jim Montgomery, to his credit, said he didn't want either guy getting too tired. Now we get to the playoffs and it comes out 
that Lena Solmark is playing injured to the point where it's impacting his movement and they didn't go to Swayman. So you spent all year making sure that your players were rested, taking care of their bodies and, and managing workload only to throw all of that out the window in the playoffs. Like you that did, just didn't make a lot of sense to me. In in the words of, uh, of, of, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi and revenge of the Sith. Like you became the very thing you swore to destroy. They, they did the, they, they operated under one sort of like overall process throughout the entire regular season. And it produced a literal record breaking result. Um, and then the second one, you're in a position where, where this, where that sort of process, not, it, it's not that it was even like, it was going to be tested. It was like, you had that contingency plan for this reason. Exact thing. Yeah. And they, and they, they just completely st- straight away from until the final, in, until the final game. They're and, in... and Swayman, let's just get this out of the way. Swayman was really good in game seven. Yeah, but then you're he... putting Jeremy Swayman, who is who is playing for the first time in two weeks, into a do or die game seven with more with, the, tasking him to basically put a stop to the biggest collapse in NHL history. How is that putting him in a position to succeed? It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, like I I it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um I thought it was really odd. Um, and it's now it, it's kind of interesting with the Bruins, right? Because you look at it. First of all, Patrice Bergeron, this man won us or lost in the cup final because he was playing with a punctured lung. 10 yeah. out of 10 would recommend doing that. But he was playing with a herniated disc. And um, that's not good. Dude, uh, David Krejci was stuff. injured. Yeah. And, and it came out today that David Posternock was injured. So Boston was broken. But here's the thing. Every team is like, we can't like like, when you lose two of your, if you lose your two best centers and your top winger, like imagine take this out of let's do Edmonton. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's say Edmonton loses McDavid, Dreisaitl and Hyman. What happens? Oh, they become a, you know, D E L (laughs) team, you know? Yeah. Right. If, if Toronto loses Matthews, Marner and Tavares, that would be a giant problem. So you have to look at it from that perspective. And yes, it sucks because they were a great regular season team. But I think the biggest question now is like, are they going to have to take a step back? Yes. And I know that we, we, we sort of uh, uh, like predicted that they would at the start of the year, which made their, their huge, you know, record setting season all the more, like all the more impressive and unlikely and whatnot. And just sort of like, it made it more pomp and circumstance around it, like more cause for celebration because they did it. And again, the, uh, you know, they did it in, in the face of, of what's it called? Uh, you know, adversity. Uh, expe- expectations and adversity yeah. and whatnot. But now there is legitimately like, you look at this and there, there is no way for them to continue along. Like, like, like there is no way for them to at least repeat this. Like there is no way for them to not take at least a little bit of a step back. They only have $5 million in salary. Orlov is as good as gone. They're likely going to lose Hathaway. Yes, they signed David Pasternak, but like like Patrice Bergeron, it seemed a lot like that was his last game. Yeah, so you brought up their cap situation, right? They've got just under $5 million in cap space to spend. And the reason that they have just under $5 million is because they have performance bonus overages of $4.5 million. So um, for anybody who doesn't know, bonus overages are when you don't have enough cap space in the season that the overages occurred in, they carry over to the next year and you can't spend that money. So like, Let's say the cap's $82.5 million. If you have $4 million in bonus overages, you can only spend $78.5 on salary that year. So if you're in LTIR, that is why like a lot of teams that use LTIR don't give uh, rookie bonuses to their rookies mm-hmm. because that would cause um, performance bonus overages. So the Bruins have $4.5 million worth of those. They have to sign five forwards, a defenseman, and RFA Jeremy Swayman. So Jeremy Swayman is going to get re-signed. I have little doubt about that. I would be surprised if David Krejci didn't retire. Nobody knows about Patrice Bergeron. I don't think they can afford to keep Garnet Hathaway. 
and Dmitry Orlov pretty much sounded like he was as good as gone. So at this point, they're losing a top four defenseman, potentially both of their top two centers. Uh, that's a problem. That's a huge problem. And <laughs> it's not even, it's also not just that they, uh, um, you know, like they're losing, like they're, it's not just any top centers, you know, it is, it is arguably the heart of their team. You know, it's, it's, it's the leadership. It's the leadership yeah. core that's going to get sort of gutted. And they're already an old team that will get a year older. They're already an old team that has had these miles tacked onto them this year. Like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a nightmare scenario for the Bruins. And on top of that, their first round pick belongs to the Leafs. Uh, so they have no first or seconds in the next two years and they have one third and it's next year. That's so that's not great. But the thing about Boston, and I, I was kind of thinking about this, there's rebuild and retool. Dallas is an example of retooling because they got, even though they had later first round picks, they hit on their first, on their seconds, like Rupa Hintz and Jason Robertson um, weren't first round picks and they hit on them. Boston, similar. They have Brandon Carlo and Charlie McAvoy and uh, that guy named David Pasternak. I do wonder because their prospect pool is so depleted, can they maybe take advantage of their goaltending situation. Maybe you move Allmark to get some help. Maybe you, you obviously probably let Connor Clifton go. Um, but does a guy like Mason Loray come up and play in the lineup? Like, I think you still have top end players, like their top D pair. Ridiculous. So good. Pavel Zaka showed he can at least play second line center, maybe able to play first line center. Uh, so I wonder if they can retool because they have the foundational pieces. They've got a goalie, they've got a Norris caliber defenseman and a 60 goal scorer. That's pretty good. Yeah, they have they absolutely have the foundation, like they have they have pieces, but it like it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Um all right, let's move on to uh, uh the Colorado Avalanche who were knocked off in 7 games. They're the defend- defending Stanley Cup champions. Real changing of the guard here. Knocked off by the uh, uh you know, the upstart sort of uh, uh Seattle Kraken. The Kraken have been released. Absolutely. And nothing is better for the sport. Truly. Oh, I love it. I think it's fantastic that all of the teams left either haven't won a cup or haven't won one since 2006. Yeah, it's huge. And and that and, and the 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 one that's won most recently, like you said, is the Carolina Hurricanes, you know, who I think, you know, they uh, they're not they're they one of those teams that you know it's a success story in building a a hockey market in a place you otherwise wouldn't expect it to be in so it's it's huge um but this, this is the defending Stanley Cup champions this is a team that was banged banged up to heck you know like they were oh they Landis were out. We, I mean if we say the Bruins are broken the Avs were like dead by the end of they, the series no Manson no Landis Gog, no Nachushkin for non injury reasons but still um you know like just the uh, they missed McCarr for for a game because of uh, uh you know his his suspension um just absolutely Cogliano got his fact- neck fractured yeah can we discuss the fact that Kale McCarr got rightfully suspended for a game and Jordan Everly did not yeah it, you know what it's it's I don't even think it's worth talking about again just because it's like, like it makes abs. It makes zero sense. Like, if it you makes- break somebody's neck, you should probably get suspended. Yeah, like we, ma- should, it- we could leave it at that. <laughs> it makes zero sense. Like, none, none of this has any, any sort of uh, uh, consistency. Like, like I don't think the the Kale McCarr and Michael Bunting hits were that different, and they're definitely not enough. Dif- like, there was enough difference in them to be two playoff games uh, difference in length, and then Jordan Everly throws a ridiculously dangerous hit um the legal hit on uh on on Andrew Cogliano and it fractures his neck it breaks his neck yeah like, like we always talk about this where whenever there's like a hit from behind we always say you could have broken that guy's neck he, he did actually broke his neck neck broken so you already are down to Chushkin and Landis Cog like you said then you lose Manson now you've lost Cogliano so Colorado was like already a top heavy team right they have McKinnon and Renton and Nichushkin Landis Cog like 
that's their calling card because that's where they spend their money. And then obviously on the back end, they're deep, right? McCarr, Taves, Byram, Gerard, Johnson, Manson, the, the list goes on. It's embarrassment of riches at that point. But if McKinnon, Renton, and McCarr weren't putting up points, nobody was. And you can't have – and to Nathan McKinnon and Miko Renton were fantastic in this series. They but were. you can't have only them scoring, right? And then Grubauer just decided he was going to turn into George Vesna for whatever odd reason. But I, I really think that the losses of Nachushkin and Landeskog, when they were really expecting to have those players, when you're already a top-heavy lineup, I mean, your bottom six got absolutely rinsed by Seattle's bottom six, and your stars couldn't make up for it because two of the four of them up front weren't even playing. So, I mean, you if you can't balance that out, I think that's sort of where the difference was, was Seattle was really balanced, and, and Colorado's superstars were superhuman, and even that couldn't make up for the chasm of difference. Absolutely. So where do they go from here? Uh, well, I think you got to figure out what's going to happen with Landeskog, right? You need to know mm-hmm. if he's going to be healthy, if he's going to play or not. I think the Nachushkin thing gets solved over the summer. Um, it sounds kind of, obviously that's not injury related. So we're not looking at like a physical recovery, um, whatever help he needs or whatever support he needs. Obviously we hope he gets that. Um, but I think you, you kind of go on the expectation that he's going to be in your lineup next year. You've got McCarr locked down. You've got McKinnon locked down. You've got Randon locked down. Very good. Solid. You've got Devin Taves. So I think you still got the core. Like, that's a pretty ridiculous core when you think about it. But you need more out of guys like Alex Newhook and Sam Gerrard. I thought Bowen Byron was actually pretty good. But those guys need to take another step forward um, if they are going to. And I think they will continue to compete. But They've got draft picks that are coming up. Sean Barron's is really good. Um, So I don't think that they're going to have a problem, but you need to figure out what to do with the bottom six because you can't have them with like a 37% expected goals for. Like that just can't happen. That's what that's, you know, and and obviously hindsight is 2020, but this is another thing where I was looking at it and I'm, I'm going like, it seemed like they, they didn't load up at the deadline. You know, they didn't. And, and I guess it sort of works in their favor because they do have their first for the next three years now. You know, they they didn't pick until, what was it, like the sixth round last year or something. So, like, they, they and have. And I think f- part of the reason they didn't load up is because they were expecting Landis Gog to come back in the regular season. Yeah. And, and didn't and, want to do shenanigans. Yeah. They could have added nine and a half million dollars in salary. <laughs> yeah. If that, you know, if, if that was the case, they could have. You know, they could have or seven, I guess, because of because uh, oh, you're what, right. Yeah, not, not I was going to say, no, that's that's uh, that's Ranton. That's what Ranton makes. Right. Backwards. I was going to say for a second, I'm like, wait a second. There's no way that Gabriel Landeskog makes nine and a half million dollars. But um, but yeah, like I think that played a part of it. Um, And they're just going to have to figure out how to be a little bit more balanced. Like to me, I think McKinnon needs to be on a line. Rantanen needs to be on another. And then you have Landeskog, Nachushkin, or as Landeskog ages, maybe Landeskog is on your third line. And I mean, you're paying him for more than obviously just his, his points. Like he's an excellent two-way player. He's a leader too. Obviously a tremendous leader, um, really good in the community. So for me, I think you need to figure out how you can drive lines, right? Randon's a pure scorer. McKinnon is a not even a bus driver. That man is a train. Yeah. I think Nachushkin, he is the bus. <laughs> yeah, Nathan McKinnon is the actual bus. Um, I think Nachushkin's capable of driving a line too, um, just with kind of how he goes about things. So maybe you have a situation where you get New Hook with Landeskog on the third line because then he can sort of. Um, be mentored defensively and offensively either way like I think Colorado first of all one of the smartest organizations in the league they'll get it figured out but it'll be interesting to see absolutely um yeah they they need a little bit more depth down uh you know down obviously in the bottom six and I think a big thing of you saying is they need more from guys like Alex uh Newhook and Bowen Byron Bowen Byron was good I do think uh uh, you know but he is still you have to remember that this is a guy who almost walked away from the game 
you know, right. like due, due to, due to, you know, concussion and, and migraine stuff. And, um, but they do need more from Alex Newhook. Alex Newhook played really well in like sheltered fourth line minutes during the cup run, um, because he was sort of a luxury piece there. Um, and he's only 21, so he's still young, but like they, it, life would have been a lot easier this year, uh, f- you know, for them, given the amount of injuries that they had, even during the regular season, when they had, there was a time where they, they had, were literally like, I don't know, they, literally, like, I think it was, there was nobody in the lineup. Like Galchenyuk was literally like you know, their second line center at one point. Like it was brutal yeah. and, and life would have been a lot easier if, uh, if you had Alex Newhook performing well. Um, so I, I'm expecting a big season from him next year. Um, all right, and finally, we go to New York Rangers. Uh, an extremely disappointing, I would say probably, other than Boston, the most disappointing sort of team getting getting bounced in the, uh, in the first round because they just, they went out with as much of a whimper as you could possibly imagine, really. Yeah, like I think the biggest upsets were obviously Boston and Colorado. Like I don't think people expected that. But in terms of how... They went out like at least Colorado put up a fight and Boston put up a fight. Um, I will say this, <laughs> considering what one member of the media said, Boston going out was not even remotely close to the Hindenburg. Um, not that a was thing. very funny, though. <laughs> <laughs> it was very funny. But so I went to game five. Um, and when I tell you that the Rangers looked absolutely lifeless they were not the team that we saw in games one and two and this like as a series this was probably the best series in the first round in terms of like animosity and back and forth and playing in the media and the storylines and uh the fans like the at the game i was at somebody choked somebody else to sleep over knocking a beer over it was wild but that seems rational Oh uh, yeah, very normal behavior in Newark, New Jersey. You can't blame if, them for that. If you look at the five on five expected goals, New Jersey dominated seventeen point four three to twelve and a half per natural stat trick. High danger chances, Mike, ninety three to fifty four. <laughs> so like people talk about Akira Schmidt. No, 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 no. He was not the best goalie in this series. Like not even close. Oh, actually. without without it. No, yeah. It, I believe Igor Shesterkin say I believe he say something like eight point four goals above expected. That's double the next yeah. Jake Ottinger, who I believe was like four point one or four point two or something. Yeah, him and Akira Schmidt and Jake Ottinger were four and a half, I think. Yeah, and and, and, and Shesterkin was eight point eight. Eight point eight. That is more than <laughs> double the amount. Like there, no one, no goalie had a better performance, and no goalie had less help than Shesterkin. Which is why, like when. At game five, when he skated to the Ranger bench and kind of gave them that death stare, I remember I was sitting with Johnny Lazarus, our um, New York Rangers kind of reporter, and we both kind of looked at each other and said, oh boy, he was getting ready to throw hands with his teammates. And honestly, if you look at it, in the first two games, we talked about this. New Jersey got away from their game. They didn't play fast. They tried to outplay the Rangers at the Rangers game. And obviously that didn't work. They lost 5-1 both times. Then Lindy Ruff, to his credit, made the adjustment and said, we got to play our way. And you know what? It may or may not work, but we're going to go down swinging like we did in the regular season. And lo and behold, the moment that the Devils started relying on their speed, this series was not even close. And I think that Lindy Ruff deserves a ton of credit. And the other thing was like, we talk about five on five. The only games the Rangers won were the games they scored power play goals in. Is that bad? That's that bad, bad because you you just <laughs> you straight up cannot uh, you you can't rely on that in the playoffs. You cannot rely on on special teams in the playoffs because at the end of the day, like you know, we all know, we all see the graphs, the penalties they go down. You know, the power play opportunities they go down as the series progresses. You man, and and you look at like. I was doing, I, I wrote sort of like the, the, the game story for them getting like for the, the, the Rangers getting bounced. And I was like, I wrote sort of a, uh, some like just sort of a, a, like a line being like, this is a, like, you know, this is a incredibly disappointing, uh, uh, you know, outcome for a Rangers uh, roster that featured such stars as 
you know, like, and, and, and I ended up listing like six or seven players. I'm like, I can't, this is too many players for, for this. Like I cannot list six or seven players in what should be a throwaway line or whatever. But then that also, that sort of just like brought into account or I sort of brought it into, into my sphere of like, Holy crap, this Rangers team was stacked and they just, they, they, they blew it completely. Well, I think one of the things that was interesting in this series, like we just finished talking about Colorado and how McKinnon, Ranton, and McCarr basically carried their team. In this series, the stars were basically invisible. Like Hughes, Meyer, and Brat were borderline invisible until game seven. Um, and even then, like Timo Meyer, I think had one point. He was impactful though. And that's the thing is Timo Meyer didn't put up the offensive numbers. But Timo Meyer was impacting play. He was in on the forecheck. He was turning pucks over. He was physical. Like he was impacting the play positively. But we talk about this all the time. When you have the kinds of seasons that Hughes, Meyer, and Brat did, you cannot go ghost mode in the playoffs. Yeah. The other guy that was basically, I don't even know if he played, I got to be honest with you. Panarin. Everyone wants to talk about Kane and Tarasenko. Artemi Panarin had zero even strength points and a 31% expected goals for percentage in the series. Zero points. Yep. You that's, can, not, that's not good enough. You make over $11 million. <laughs> that can't happen. So for me, everyone's dumping all over Kane and Tarasenko. We knew Kane was not the same Kane. And I comparatively did not think he was that bad. Artemi Panarin having zero five on five points in a playoff in an entire playoff series is totally unacceptable. Yeah, it's it's, it's unacceptable. And he looked to, to Artemi Panarin's credit. He he came um, or he became very openly uh, uh, not very openly. He he was uh, he opened up about how he has OCD. I'm not sure if you saw that. I did um, see that. Did, yeah, which is incredibly commendable. So I want to say, you know, when we we're criticizing for his play, that's not taking away from who he is as a person. Some people can get that confused. Um, you know, I'm really, really glad that he, uh, you know, that that he he was able to do that. But yeah, like when you're getting paid, and over- also that is not when he comes out and says that he's not using it no, no, as no. an excuse. Like he is communicating and opening up. I know the Rangers PR staff, and like Panarin realizes that he has a platform especially because he is probably one of the most prominent new york rangers him chris Kreider, adam fox and so him doing that is is more about him opening up and trying to be more relatable to the fan base and and letting them in as opposed to him being like this is an excuse like that's not how it should be taken and i saw some people kind of making a joke of it and it's not like that's OCD is extremely serious. And so like, I hope he's getting the help that people with OCD require um, because otherwise it could be super debilitating. Um, but yeah, like the, his play on the ice has n- nothing. Like I'm only criticizing his play. I'm not criticizing Panarin the person. I did think it was absolutely funny in game five though, when things were getting out of hand, like Kevin Ball and Damon Severson were like Kevin Ball was fighting Barkley Gaudreau. Damon Severson was getting his helmet ripped off. Jonas Siegenthaler was slashing guys. And then all of a sudden behind the play, Panarin takes a look back, makes sure the ref's not watching and takes a full blown baseball swing at a guy. Yeah. And then can we, that's not the most, uh, you know, that's not the craziest physical altercation of the series, Rachel. This is correct. Like that. I, I want to get your, your opinion on, I would say the most like, bone crushing hit I've seen in since like you know the days of like Dion Phaneuf. Scott Stevens was in like looked at that hit and went it me. The thing is is that technically by the rule book it is a clean hit. Yeah. Um I, I I you know I think we I think our discourse has come around to where that's sort of the consensus. My argument is that it shouldn't be. Yeah, so I think that there's a couple different conversations to be had here. Um, I thought Mike Johnson made a really good point about it. Um, I spoke to um, one NHL linesman and one NHL official about it, um, and then one former NHL official about it. And I think that there's kind of a bit of a consensus here. And the consensus is 
we probably need to have the double IHF rule for head contact in the NHL because, like you said, by the letter of the rule book, that's a clean hit. But just because the rule book says it's a clean hit doesn't mean we have to like or accept the hit. Right now, he's not going to get penalized for it. And by the rule book, is a great hit. Mm-hmm. Right? Textbook hit. The conversation needs to happen. Yes, that's a great hit by the rule book. But should we want that kind of thing happening with everything we know about concussions and CET, head injuries, whiplash, all of that? And I agree with you. I don't think we should. So, yes, was it called correctly on the ice? Kudos to the officials. It was. Rachel, but do we probably need to evaluate the rule? Yeah. Rachel, we, like, you know, in, like, the 1600s, <laughs> I, and, and I think probably even, you know, even later than that, because it seems like one of those things that you'd, re- you'd learn about, be like, oh, Tennessee just banned this, and, it, you know, you know, yeah, like when Arkansas was like, we are outlawing slavery. I was like, it's excuse like, me? Yay, wait, what? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, it is 2020. <laughs> but, like, in the 1600s, you could if, if if a woman was good at math, you could burn her at the stake for being a witch. And it was and it was legal. Um, so I'm also getting burned at the stake. Well, I already posted saying. that. I already posted that TikTok if you remember it's like in the olden yes. days, this woman would have been burned at the stake. But like and that was legal, you know, but that doesn't mean that didn't mean that it was right, you know. And yeah. I, I feel like we're going we're we're going in this direction where like you know, yes, it's legal, but I think we've, I think we as a society have reached a point where, you know, I, I we don't need to see guys getting their actual brains scrambled for us to have in, entertainment in the game of hockey. I just don't think we need, we need that to happen. Timo Meyer is, is, uh, missed game one. Uh, okay, because the one thing I want to say about Meyer though. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to excuse the hit. I do. No, 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 but I know where you're going and, and you're valid for this. Yeah. You cannot have your head down like that first of all he's going into a one-on-three you should be dumping the puck in every single time and Mm. not cutting into the middle of the ice with your head down so yes while i don't like that truba made that hit and i don't timo meyer just has to know better and you know who the first person to tell him that's gonna be his coach lindy tom fitzgerald oh oh yeah yeah. Tom Fitzgerald will be the first person to tell Timo Meyer, listen, that hit's still legal in the game. You cannot cut across the blue line, whether that hit goes out of the game or not. That doesn't prevent anybody from hip checking you and sending yeah. you flying. Meyer was going to get hit no matter what, because he decided to cross the blue line in the middle of the ice with his head down. And you just can't do that so for me like i think it's okay to say i don't like that hit even though it's legal and it's also okay to say when you are doing that kind of thing on offense you you also have to take some ownership and have your head up yeah absolutely all right rachel before we head out i want to get your quick thoughts on uh what the future of the rangers coaching situation is and your reaction to the joel quenville talk that's been surrounding them do we have to? I mean, okay, we don't have to talk with Joel Quenville. We can <laughs> no, talk to... I was just being silly. Okay, <laughs> like we can talk. Mm-hmm. I definitely want to talk about Gallant for a little, for just like a couple minutes, um, and we can tie that in there. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Gerard Gallant got out coached for the second time in two years. I don't pretty handily. Okay. Pretty handily. Gerard Gallant. Do I think Gerard Gallant is a good hockey coach? Yes. Clearly, by what happened in Vegas. Do I think Gerard Gallant knows how to deal with young players? He has very clearly shown that he doesn't. Do I think that Gerard Gallant is the modern day Mike Babcock? I'm starting to think he is. I think he might not be the most um, new school mind. Yeah. Okay. Also, you if you're considered old school when I'm talking about Lindy Ruff, yeah (laughs) that that ship may have sailed um especially now because lindy ruff is going up against one of the best coaches in the league and rod brindamore if not um yeah to me i don't i think gallant is a fine coach 
I don't think Gallant is the right coach for this team. They need to get more out of Kako. They need more out of Edel. They need more out of Lafreniere, Schneider, and Miller. Gerard Gallant is not that guy. He is not, he's not that guy, pal. Trust a, me, he's not that guy. He's he's not a relationship manager guy in the way that like Bruce Boudreaux is, right? Gerard Gallant's an excellent tactician. Bruce Boudreaux is the best communicator feel guy in a lot of people's eyes in the NHL. And so I think they need to kind of find somebody that has a little bit of both. Obviously, John Cooper is probably the best example of that or Rod Brindamore. Neither of those guys are available. Players were players were weeping when Boudreaux left. You know, it was like, Uh, yeah, you know, it was it was it was pretty rough. Um, Yeah, I. uh, I think Gallant's gone. I think his comments at Locker Cleanout Day or Breakdown Day, whatever you want to call it, I think that that um, sort of solidified it. Like, yeah, it was sort of like a. And why I, I made the Babcock comparison is that it reminded me a lot of April of 2019. Uh, the Leafs, you know, the Leafs get bounced in in Game Seven by the Bruins once again. Uh, you know, for the second year in a row. Um, yeah, second year in a row. Um, and Mike Babcock gets blatantly outcoached by the same coach on the other side again for the second year in a row. Um, and instead of taking any accountability, he just sort of bristles completely and makes excuses and does this and does that and gets defensive about questions being asked and just completely goes against any of this accountability sort of base teaching that, that, that he's, he's harped upon and Gallant did Let's, a lot. Well, let me stop you there for a second. Okay. Everyone preaches accountability in hockey. Almost none of them actually follow through. Might I just point out my former employer on that one? That's um, true. That's true. Yeah. So what I would say is, is the guys who preach it and follow it are still coaching. I.e. John Cooper, Peter DeBoer, Bruce Cassidy, and Rod Brindamore are guys who like within the NHL circle. I don't know enough about the other coaches that are still in it, but I have heard from too many people that those four coaches not only preach accountability, but they're the ones leading the charge with it. Right. Don't look how many bullets in the back Cooper took for his lightning team just in the last series. And so for me, I think Gerard Gallant's a good coach. I don't think he's the right coach for this team in the same way that Bruce Cassidy had run his course in Boston. That doesn't mean Bruce Cassidy is not a good coach. I, he very clearly is. Hey, he's he's in the second round and his former team is not. Correct. The Joel Quenville thing, though. Here, okay, one one last thing real quick is that I think you're right with Gerard Gallant not being the right coach of this team, but, ever, but every team has young players. Every team has important young players, too. He's got to get over this. He's got to learn how to communicate and 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 motivate young players he just has to or else he will not because every team now has young players there are no solely veteran teams anymore it just doesn't exist yeah like i i think that and don't get me wrong i have a lot of time for daryl sutter especially with um how he talks about marginalized communities um mm-hmm. the work he does uh raising money like that kind of thing i think him and gerard galan are kind of in the same boat in terms of like the old school way of thinking and dealing with players, whereas you look at some of the younger, maybe more kind um, jovial coaches, they're yeah. much better at re- relationship management. Bruce is going to be 70 in a couple of years. I mean, the guy's ability to manage player relationships is like nothing I've ever seen. Yeah. That locker room was a powder keg that he managed to diffuse not Somehow. really sure how um i like it still kind of actually boggles my mind um so i just think that the rangers need to find somebody that one is like is a tactician to a degree but also has a legitimate track record of developing and getting the most out of younger players because that that generation is just it's different and I think even if you have somebody on your bench that is good with that, it will go a long way, right? I think Spencer Carberry is a guy that's probably going to get a look from a few teams. Um, He's a guy that's known to be really good with um, 
relationship management. I do think Bruce should get another look. Um, but even then, like, I don't know if Bruce would be into it, but even like as an associate coaching role where Bruce can actually be the guy that has the fun and doesn't ever have to be really the bad cop. Like, mm-hmm. I think that could really suit him. You could. Okay. All right. Uh, do we want to talk about Quenville or should we? We should probably. All right. Let's do it very quickly though. Okay. So here's the deal. We should establish facts right off the top. Okay. Joel Quenville is one of the best coaches, most successful coaches in NHL history. Unassailable, not arguable. Joel Quenville was also part of a cover-up of sexual assault, which is totally unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And he absolutely should pay the consequences for that. Also, not up for debate. The conversation becomes, at what point has Joel Quenville gone away and done the work would he be allowed back? Because if this was a run-of-the-mill coach, like we forget Jim Montgomery left Dallas and went and got help and mm-hmm. came back to Boston, right? He did it quietly. There wasn't pop and circumstance about it. Joel Quenville has done a lot of that same thing. Obviously, it's a much different situation, but I guarantee you that he his name wouldn't be floating around if he hadn't done this work and enough people in hockey knew about it. They just weren't announcing it like they did with Mitchell Miller kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I think Joel Quenville should coach again. I'm merely presenting that, first of all, I do believe in second chances, maybe not in this particular instance, but generally speaking, I believe in second chances. And if he actually has done the work, I don't think as a society we can say, you did this, that makes you a horrendous person forever, you don't get another chance, but then also say, we believe in second chances. Like, I think there needs to be kind of like a a sliding scale there. I don't think it could be black and white. Ultimately, it's going to be up to Gary Bettman to decide his fate. I do think that given the work that is out there kind of in the hockey community that he has done, he probably does get reinstated. Um, Whether you agree or disagree with that is a whole other thing. Would Joel Quenville be a good coach for the New York Rangers? Yes, he would be. He is the best bench manager that has ever stepped foot on a bench in this league. He is the best bench manager. The problem that you have is, is that worth it for everything that comes after that? And I do think he should have to answer questions about it. But as it pertains to the Rangers... Do you think the man who owns the Rangers gives two no. craps about it? And that is where we're at. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, we've reached the end of the podcast. Um, you know, this exciting new uh, rebrand. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will uh, we'll be back, obviously, with with more lovely, exciting content. Um, you know, we're, we're launching a bunch of different Twitter, hand, uh, you know, a bunch of different, not Twitter handles, uh, social media um, expansion and, and handles and whatnot. So we will we will roll those out when they when they happen. Um, and yeah, enjoy enjoy the second round. We will be back to break down and talk about whatever happens between now and the next time you hear us. <laughs>